So when we're ready to start, and I know we're probably already started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way we start. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's okay, mm-hmm. if you have a moment of silence for – I would like to dedicate tonight to Mike Cleary. You guys have no idea who this man was. But he was um, – he was a partner in my record company when we started uh, when we started out in about 1994. We started a record company, Deco Music. But he was also a record store manager, and I, that's how I met him when I was first starting off engineering. He was um, he was just manager of a of a I think it was an all Wilk record store in New Jersey, which is like a small chain, like of about seven stores or something, and you know and. Um, you know, just being the conscientious audio engineer that I was, I'd always like once a month or so I'd go into the record store and just buy stuff, you know, just like what, you know, what's new, what's hot. Let me just let, you know, let's check out what's good. And Mike would always turn me on to the stuff that was going to be hot. And it, it was like he had this mystical pick that he could <laughs> always find what was going to be hot. Later on, I learned it was because, you know, the promotion and ma- and uh, marketing people from the record companies that were coming in and pouring all the money into certain <laughs> artists, he was saying, oh, you know, you got to check out, you know, you know, Sean Colvin. She's going to be hot. You know, like, really? This folk thing? Like, sure enough, blew up, you know, but he, he had that pick. So here we are in the, in the spirit of the store. I'd <laughs> like to dedicate tonight's podcast to Mike Cleary. Cool. This is the Dark Side Records and Gallery Podcast. I wish they still did A&R like that. Yeah, A&R. That's a lost uh, (laughs) product (laughs) manager's name. I meet some people that say that they're in A&R, but I'm like, really? Yeah. I don't know what that means anymore. Yeah. There's there's no reps that come here. No one? Really? we've We've had one rep ever come here. Hmm. Well, I know a lot of guys know about your store. Plenty of people know about our store, and plenty of like uh, record label distribution people do shop here. But like right. my actual reps, I've only ever met. Well, I know some of them, but only ever had one of them in the store. Wow, wow! So it's all done like electronically, email, e- email, and yeah. stuff like that. Nobody's coming in with the personal touch or whatever. We tag them on Instagram and uh, there you go. Snapchat. And mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. how they know what we're doing, what they ask us to do. You know, I I just made a point recently to like. I mean, it's kind of crazy, but I put my cell phone number on my my work email uh, so that people can call my cell because I find I, I spend like two hours a day doing emails mm. and like I can't get anything done while I'm typing an email. But like when I'm talking on the phone with somebody, I can be like making backups. I can be doing other stuff and I'm just finding a lot more – I, I kind of find it the same way too. Like, it, generally speaking, the quickest way to get a response from me is just to call me. Just to call. Me. If you send me an email, I'm probably gonna I'll look at it. And go, okay, I'll respond I'll to that, that later. <laughs> and then as a week goes by, and yeah. then you said, "Hey, did you read my email?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm an asshole." I didn't <laughs> so, uh, so, so we got a new new uh, member here today. I see that you've br- yeah. you've brought a new yeah, assistant, but Stephen with you today. What's your uh, name, man? Stephen. Stephen. Yeah. Welcome. Thank Welcome. You. So, how new are you? Uh, well, I met Alan probably a year and a half ago, and then recently, probably the last year or so, I've been working with him and other stuff. So, probably last year. You were here for uh, record. I was here for the record store. I remember that. Helping out, yeah. Cool. Yeah, just trying to bring him up the right way. Yeah, indoctrinate (laughs) him into the world of uh, get your ass on. 
on the podcast. <laughs> yep. do, you, do you listen to podcasts? Do you like podcasts? I don't usually listen to them. I mean, but uh, check out some like radio podcast stuff like that. It's a world, man. It's yeah. like a world of of, of good things. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's great entertainment to go to sleep to. <laughs> well, it, it's like I even uh, it's. Uh, I mean, I guess uh, we all are sort of non-traditional in everything we do, but I always loved uh, – my favorite thing when I listened to radio was I used to listen to VKR on like Sundays at 3 in the afternoon and they would play like the old, you know, 1930s or whatever, like the serial radio shows, right, like right. the detective stories. Right. And I loved those. Okay. Like I used to love listening yeah. to those and that's why I think podcasts for me were su- such like a natural transition. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, I worked on a TV show called Remembering When, W-E-N-N. I don't know if you guys ever saw that on the uh, – WKRP in Cincinnati? It was kind of like that. <laughs> yeah. It was like an old 30s radio program and like they had the Foley guy and his name was actually Foley and stuff. <laughs> and, you know, and they had the whole things took place in the radio and it was just like an awesome thing. We should do that here. We should have our own little <laughs> – We've talked about that. Like, we should, we should do bits with like – you know, we'll get the coconuts and make horse noises and shit. <laughs> like, At some point we had – a mildly planned like a restaging of a Christmas Carol on stage. For some, I don't remember why, but yeah, a Dark Side production. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. That's we try cool. introducing fake characters <laughs> just to ruin it. Was it Will from costumes? Will from England? Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah you gotta have, like yeah. we got we commit to characters on this on this program. Yeah. yeah, this is we're yeah. serious about yeah. it. I got you. Good. How's your uh, How's the recording coming out? It's going well. That's what I figured to bring that up. Too. It's going well. Yeah. Um. We'll probably do an episode uh, when the record comes out. We'll probably do like an actual. I'll have. Whoa, whoa! You're gonna get the the whole band in the store. Yeah. Oh, uh, hey, so um, uh, I know this band, and they just recorded a record, and we should have them on the podcast. They're called Dead Empires. Oh, uh, <laughs> I didn't. I've never seen them all in the same room together. It doesn't happen very frequently. <laughs> I can. I personally can confirm that. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Uh, I was away for a week. Uh, a couple. Uh, at this point, what three weeks ago Something now? Like that, yeah. uh, and spent a week down in Jersey, and I was at uh, Backroom Studios with uh, Kevin and Scott. Yeah. Recorded a new Dead Empires record. Cool. And it was uh, cool. Who's going to master it? Uh, I have this guy who I think is going to do it. He's pretty good. Yeah, okay. He's pretty good. His name is Steven, I believe. Steven, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was me. I Steven Decker is going to do it. <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, well I th- yeah, that'd be like a really interesting thing to do too. Would be to uh, you know be able to. Post up a before and after a vinyl copy. See what's, see what everybody thinks. Sure. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Put up some some samples on the website. Can we do that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, kind of get get people into it. Uh, I actually noticed. Uh, so. Uh, so uh, for anyone who's listening, hey, welcome to the Dark Side Records <laughs> podcast. Uh, I'm JB. I'm JJ. This is of course a podcast where we discuss music, music industry. Uh, Fart jokes, uh, ad-libbed intros, um, that's all I got. Many false starts. I'm going to keep it short. Okay. Uh, so uh, this uh, episode is uh, part two of a two-part series. We have, uh, once again, a uh, special guest in the studio, Alan Douches. Hey, I'm here. From West West Side Music. Thank yeah. you for coming again and being a part of our podcast. My pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, but so last time you were here, I'll just I'll just jump right in. So last time no. you were here, we, we talked about a couple things, and one thing you talked about was uh, high dynamic range or wide dynamic range uh, in terms of mastering, and we talked about like digital mastering versus vinyl mastering. And I have an LP at home. It was a uh, by a band called Pig Destroyer, 
and uh, they're like a you know a grind band. I know. Yeah, sure. So what I noticed was I happened to be playing it, and you know many albums come with digital downloads now on the inside, and there were two different digital downloads. And one was the just the regular standard album digital download, and one was uh, I, I guess it must have come from the store, like it must have been a thing that we were sent or something like that. It, but it was a, it was a bookmark. Oh uh, yeah, I remember that. And it was a bookmark, and it said download the special. Uh, I want to say high dynamic range, but maybe it was like right. wide dynamic range, high res or something. Version. Like that, I usually say. Yeah, and uh, ever since we talked about that, I, I sort of paid sort attention. Of attention. So I put it on, I listened to it, and uh, and the whole time was just thinking about uh, you know so many things that we talked about uh, last podcast that now at least I have you know the most rudimentary understanding yeah. of at least conceptual or conceptual. released one of their albums that way. You could purchase it either as standard CD dynamic sixteen bit, which was kind of crushed, or they would or they released a version that was kind of what they mixed in the studio dynamically hmm. they were both mastered but they were mastered differently they were both actually you know cd format 16 bit but but one was meant to be you know squashed and one was meant to be more dynamic and you could you know i think if you bought one you could down there might have been a code to buy the other one or something mm-hmm. like that something like that what album was it do you know um you know it was when it was three years ago or so i guess because i remember that dillinger was putting out their uh record at the same time and we were trying to discuss doing it with them as well but uh Mm. ben wanted no part of that (laughs) (laughs) just all the way to the top um yeah we just well we just uh put out uh or we just mastered uh mastodon in high definition i mean they did their new record in um 2496 i think and uh it was the number four seller on hdtracks.com and so you know i've been trying to convince the label uh to uh to, re- to let us release that. And they finally said, okay, yeah, it's like it's starting to sell. I think it's a great option. And it's kind of my opinion why vinyl is just such a viable format is mm-hmm. because it's mm-hmm. the more dynamic, you know, um, playback medium, which again, it doesn't make sense. It's not right. really the dynamic medium and it's got all those other factors into it. But, you know, we're more inclined to just leave it on and let it play and, and enjoy a whole side of a, of a record rather than the immediacy of what all the kids do you know so yeah i mean we we're trying and i mean it's kind of also a takeoff of the uh the mastered for itunes format which is a similar thing and what's happening is all of the playback uh companies youtube uh did it and now spotify just brought theirs down to minus 14 uh, uh level units as well so everybody's kind of bringing their playback down so there's more room for dynamics on streaming and so it's easier for them to also match all the levels through their algorithms uh, hmm. at the same time. So the squash factor doesn't really work as much. Are there like industry standards that they that they that people they're adhere trying. to or yeah. send out? Yeah, I they're, say, they're, anyway? they're trying. You know, I mean, in broadcast there is. You know, in broadcast, you know, you can't exceed a certain. Right, that was regulated a few yeah, years ago. Yeah, and you get fined. You know, if you did. So uh, my minus eighteen uh, dB was uh you know and that's just you know and it was great so that this way they were trying to standardize something mm-hmm. so that you could you know go from one station to another <sighs> station and not have to have that remote control in your right head. or like and, the show to the commercial when yeah. the commercial is 15 times louder mm-hmm. than the mm-hmm. tv well and the funny thing is that we i think i may have said this last time that the that they did a study tbs did a study of how when that 
playback is consistent, people are more inclined to put that remote down, obviously, and watch the, the program longer. But when those commercials come flying on, you grab for that remote, you may hit mute, or you may just go to another channel. Yeah. So it, it's not serving the programming well. And kind and kind of the same thing is happening with music. Is you know everything is jammed with you know that peak limiter in digital that it you get that instantaneous sensation of like whoa check that out, but you don't normally get through but a couple songs before you're looking for something else because it's just got all that same squash factor going on. And it's and when you think about it, if if you're pushing everything up into a ceiling, and everything is getting closer and closer, there's less room for deviation at the top. So what's happening is everything is starting to sound the same. So, let, you know, if, if the, you know, I, obviously nobody can see me drawing this waveform. <laughs> but if the waveform goes from here to here to here to here, right, and you, you've got a perfect kind of sine wave, it's not a problem. As you start jamming that to the top, you get the sine wave in the middle. But at the top and at the bottom, you get square waves. So no matter who you are as a band or an artist, if you're jamming it to the top and the, to, to the top of the level, you're going to start getting square waves, and you're going to sound just mm -hmm. like everybody else. As well as there's, when you start thinking about a stereo image, if the left and the right signals, which are always a little bit different, which is get, what gives you your stereo field, as you start jamming levels up, it goes into mono because when right. both sides get clipped and become a, a, a DC, a, you know, a direct current line, it goes into mono. And so what happens is on a CD that's jammed really tight is you get this kind of effect with your stereo image. You go, it goes to mono, then it goes to stereo, mono stereo, and it does that like, you know, a thousand times a second, and you don't get the clarity, but you don't have that in vinyl, which is one of the right. reasons. Because you physically it. couldn't. You can't. Yeah. yeah. You, can, you can keep kind of getting closer to that square wave, but it never actually becomes that, that sawed off top, top transient. And now, because there's no real volume wars for vinyl, like there were in the days when radio was playing vinyl, when it had to be hotter, mm -hmm. um, we're putting the more dynamic one there, and it is, and it just—that's why it sounds better. It's you know, it, it's really I, like I'm kind of always pinching myself that it's, <laughs> that it's happened, and it's really tremendous. Yeah. Next. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I tend to be like a, a very like emotive listener. Like I, I long for emotional connections with, yeah. with music that I listen to. And yeah. that's something I, you know, something about sitting in my living room listening to an LP and that environment and how it all relates to each other. Like I'll often find myself like when I get a new record. Uh, I don't know if this is weird or not. Maybe this is like a strange admission, but you know, I will, you know, I'll get a new record and like for, uh, often we'll listen to it here, right. and it's a very specific experience. And I, and I feel oh, it's like it's definitely not the same. Yeah, it's like it's loud, right. and Ambient. you know, it like, and I listen to a lot of loud music, so like it kind of cooks, and I'm like, oh, this sounds really good. And then I get home and I put it on my turntable, and it sounds so different. It, there's clarity in such a different way. Mm -hmm. Like there's there's much more like range and depth to things, and I'll often. Uh, I'll just be standing in the middle of my living room, like staring at the center of the floor, kind of listening to my yeah. two speakers. Yeah. And like, you know, my, my girlfriend will walk in and it'll just be me standing in the middle of the room. And I think she just kind of goes like, okay. And just turns around and walks out and goes in the other room. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, true audio geeks also have to sit in that perfect isosceles triangle. You know, that's where, <laughs> yeah, that's where, yeah. And that's where I reside my entire life. I just sit in that one spot. I can't, can't move up, can't move down, can't move sideways, you know. Mine's fucked up right there. now because I, I tore my living room apart. So my speakers are stacked on top of my records in like a small hallway. Oh, yeah. But it's still hooked up because yeah. I could not have it hooked yeah. up. So mm -hmm. I got 
one speaker way up here on top of the shelf and one over here standing on the floor yeah. and one's pointing at glass windows and then one I have tilted towards the living room and it's not the same. My brother did that once. He, he, I walked into his, room, his living room and he had one speaker behind the sofa facing up in the air and the other <laughs> one was in another corner facing down the, down, down the, the wall. And, I, and I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> and it's just like, I like it this way. I'm like, you know, there you go. Yeah, just, yeah whatever. Like yeah. Whatever whatever floats your boat on that. Um, yeah, the other thing is cassettes. We started talking about them a little bit last time. Mm. All of a sudden, I'm mastering for cassettes again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got to, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, what, 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 do you guys sell cassettes? Or are, we, are we selling them here now? We, we do, do. Yeah. yeah. In fact, we have a. There's a. We may mention this, but there's a, a local label, a cassette-only oh, yeah, cassette label in Poughkeepsie. Label. As a matter of fact, that I think they're they're getting them duped there. Okay, yeah, that could yeah. be. Could be. Yeah. Queen City Tapes. They're doing a showcase here on the 24th. So with a couple bands. So so let's get see. So cassettes. <laughs> I know what they are. I, you know what they are. That's good. That's good. I mean, are are kids into the cassettes now? Are you are you hearing that at all? I mean, you you know you're kind no, of I feel close like, to the ground. I feel like the more getting back into vinyl, I feel like at least I am. That's way bigger for sure. Yeah, the LP, yeah, yeah. but mm. cassette is a growing market. How can that be? I I just sat in many meetings in Nashville uh, last month, and and nearly every one of them, distributor or label people go, are cassettes selling? Are cassettes working? And we said, yeah, just don't ruin the price point. <laughs> nobody wants. Nobody's going to spend fifteen or twenty dollars on a cassette, right. but ten—that's like the sweet spot. Wow, ten dollar cassette. Like we sold the Father John Misty cassette. Uh, that one did pretty well. Mm-hmm. A lot of indie rock. It's it's indie mm-hmm. rock and hip hop that do really well on cassette. And so, what are they? I mean, they play them on boomboxes. What do you? What do I think you, most kids are playing them on cars, like in, in their, their cars. cars. Okay. Or, uh, like speaking for us, we sell a lot of secondhand tape decks. Okay. Like you know, I'll buy a. Sony, whatever. I've, no, I mean I've had the yeah. Nakamichi. Just three hundred bucks. That sits around, but like the twenty-five dollar, thirty dollar dual cassette deck that I've got back there. Right, they fly out the door. Really? Yeah, probably, probably still a couple a week. Wow. Even we had somebody who brought in a like an old school. 80s boot tape deck boombox like you know gray with yeah. bright colored buttons and uh, yeah. and while it was sitting while we were even you know before we had even purchased it or looked at it so many people were so much it yeah, yeah is this for like, sale hey, can i buy this is this, is this can i get wow. this that's awesome i mean <laughs> you know um, we're we're doing some archival work now and we're trying to pull stuff from digital and and stuff and some a lot of stuff is coming from quarter inch tape and you know and tape is a wonderful viable format i mean it's just a you know, it's I, I've got. We just we're packing a whole mm-hmm. bunch of them up, you know, yeah. and it's just like here, I still have all my. I guess I should bring them up here, and you guys can sell them all. Or something. <laughs> like secondhand cassettes. No, it's, no, it's not secondhand stuff. No, I mean we we by far sell more secondhand stuff than new stuff, but right. um, the like the value factor is not really there. Like most right. of you know ninety percent of that wall over there is probably priced under four dollars or less. Okay. So yeah, so it's not. It's a, again, it's hip hop cassettes and punk cassettes and like that kind of even like some of the '80s metal stuff. Mm-hmm. Those yeah. are desirable. I mean, I, you know, I, I I embrace it in a sense, understanding it, but I, it's just like you know, buying Apple stock in yeah, in yeah, yeah. like '91 or something. It's like why why am I going to do this? <laughs> before? I mean, I, I use Apple computers, I love them, but like I'm not stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, everybody shit on me when I want when I started carrying cassettes like four years ago. Wow. They're like, you know, Aaron and Roberto were like, 
what are you doing? There's no no one wants these things, and now you know we're selling them. We sell. We probably sell, and I know this doesn't seem like a lot. We probably sell in the neighborhood of forty to fifty cassettes a week. That. Primarily used, yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean that's not an insignificant number of tapes. Mm. No, that's that's, not. M- that's yeah. more than I thought, to be honest. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've watched it grow because I track our numbers on everything, and I can see it over the years growing. Right, right. Yeah, I, I wanted to touch back on the the A and R thing too, just real, real quick. Um, just that, um, you know, in talking about mastering and stuff like that, you know, we, we used to deal with A and R guys all the time. But now, now we're not anymore. You know, so it's it's kind of a lost. It is a lost art. And and what happens is there's nobody controlling. You know, or not controlling. Yeah, that's good, good stuff. There. <laughs> uh, the artist, from the standpoint of you know, um, the, the, the the label. But it's but it is kind of funny that like that, that's that's the art form that's lost. And I'm wondering, you know, people are always like bands are always fighting. They're mixing forever. You know, they're they're doing revisions. You know, for weeks and weeks past when their deadlines were. When there's nobody at the label saying, "Hey, listen, guys, we got to get this done." You know, it's a the structure. Although there's a great TED talk by this guy Barry Schwartz about uh, it's called uh, the paradox of choice, and it's all about how like. If you look in the dictionary, the word freedom is equal to choice. And, you know, if you have choices, that's freedom. But, like, when you have too many choices, mm. it becomes disabling. And you're, you're, you're mentally, your mind just shuts down and stuff like that. And I'm seeing that happen more and more with the, the lack of guidance, in a sense, of, uh, you know, A&R guys or, yeah. you know, that kind, of, that kind of role. From what I could see, they seem to be fairly few and far between and, like, a lot of people are sort of do A and R as more of a side job. Like their, you know, their job is management or uh, you know distribution. But yeah. at the same time, like they're working directly with the artist as opposed to that separate person. Yeah, we. I mean, like you know, we would get. We used to get like a phone call from the A and R guy, you know, saying, "Hey, listen, we're booking this session" or something like that. And then you know, when we would be, you know in the session dealing with them we'd be we'd be directly dealing with them and they'd be double checking the song order and all that kind of stuff but now it's just like it's all up to the band which is awesome i mean from the band's perspective but i don't know that they're having that guidance that they used to have from the a and r from a good a and r person yeah i i I mean it must be all situational depending on like who you're signed with and i'm sure the bigger the company becomes the less uh the less of an importance it is until you're some sort of you know megastar sort of yeah. class well, you know i guess it, it, you know they're they're given their role listen sell records you know sign what's going to sell in the, you want to hear the craziest thing like, i don't know just this reminded me of it so we're in uh a meeting with uh, the largest dis- music distributor in the world which is universal music universal, right, yeah. and uh we were bitching from the indie side about um, day and date for products. So quite often, you know, vinyl is not the same street date as CD, and, right, right. and neither is the same street date as digital. Even though we just went to a worldwide street, it's all fucked up mess. Right, right. But we were just literally told that that was not a priority to them, and that bl- just blew my mind. And I, you know, I held my tongue, and I feel like I shouldn't have. But right. I sat there and, and just thought, then what the fuck are we doing sitting here in this meeting? Right. right like, if you yeah. don't give a shit about what we're saying, but right. their whole thing is secrecy. So, like, I think they're shifting their their budgets and focus onto preventing leaks and hacks. 
because that's all they really seem to care about. Like they, we, you know, you go into these meetings and there's like a, a bullet point agenda that everybody has, and we discussed none of it, huh? Because they were really only interested in secrecy. And this, this woman straight up said, "If we're worried about it, we won't ship it until street date." So then you won't have it till Wednesday because it's supposed to be out on Friday. Right. And so what the fuck is the point of us even having it at wow. that point? Wow. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, we're doing a, we're doing a box set with Universal right now. I can't, and I, and I can't say who it is, mm. <laughs> you know? And yeah. Every uh, Universal's thing is quote the embargo. That's crazy. That's really crazy. But it, there's so much bureaucracy there that it's, it's, you know, like they're looking, you know, they can't find tapes. Yeah, you know, and it's like, what do you mean you can't find, you know? And then, so then it's like, well, it's in, you know. And then there's a guy who's the archivist, you know, and it's like, and you get him on the phone. And it's like, well, they're missing eight tapes out of you know like thirty of the catalog pieces, and it's just like, well, how can they be missing? How can you know where? Right, you know, where, where did they how go? How did you know that you had them if you didn't, you know, like <laughs> or kind of thinking, kind of thinking? Well, you know, um, uh, yeah, I just you know, in relating it back to the A and R thing, I just think the priorities have really. Shifted, yeah. especially in the last what, ten years. Like, yeah. you know, an artist wants to go live with it when they want to go live with it, which is the second they're done with it in the studio. And, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just it's just a whole different dynamic. Yeah, there was a band that I we mastered the record. Uh, I don't know, a couple of years ago, one, one of the records, and um, it went out, and it and I think it sold fairly well. Um, you know, I mean, you know, this was three, four years ago. So I think, and they were a pretty big band at the time, you know. Um, I think it sold about 30,000 copies or something like that. And then about five months or so after the release, um, the record label, you know, sends me a note and says, hey, Alan, you know, I've got the new uh, Motionless and White record, you know, coming into, at you. Can, you. can you squeeze this in as quickly as possible? And we're like, yeah, okay, wow, that's cool. Like, wow, you know, band's doing well. Got another record out already. <laughs> no, it was the same record remixed. Mm. They re-released the same record, but remixed it because they were unhappy with the the, the original mix. Mm. And it's just like, how how does is that okay? I mean, I mean, I, you know, I want to say that that's okay from the artist's standpoint, but like you look at like from a consumer standpoint, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, so but they got, but I remember that second record. I mean, I think I was sold fifteen thousand copies or something like that as well. Hmm. You know, so I mean, the record company's happy; they're selling records. The artist's happy; he's selling records. But you know, which one is the right one? I don't know. You know, and I actually didn't even know that until I started. I didn't know it was the same record until I started mastering it. And I'm thinking like, <laughs> these songs sound familiar. <laughs> and, and then I'm looking at the titles, and I went back and I referenced it. I'm like, this is this, this, this is the same record. This is you know, it's quite quite unusual, <laughs> you know. But I was talking about you know, archiving, bringing up these the tapes and stuff like that. Um, you know, we're also uh, transferring some vinyl for another project, and you know, it's it's really remarkable how durable vinyl is over the years. You know, we're pulling stuff from the '70s and literally just you know, vacuuming it, cleaning yeah. it, and vacuuming it. And it's like new, you know, like I said, with tapes, we have to bake them for eight hours or 10 hours or something like that. And even then, you know, as you're rewinding the tapes, the splices are coming apart. So you can't, when you, after you bake a tape and you put it on a tape machine, you can't just hit rewind and walk away because the, the splicing tape, all the goo 
it, it probably has given way already, but then the, the, uh, the baking process normally will dry out the glue, and often the splices will come apart. So you have to do a library wind going backwards. So you're, you're literally <coughs> sitting there, and the tape is almost moving at like twice the speed. So a, a full reel of two-inch tape will take about 10 minutes or so to rewind because you have to be really careful that the splices don't come apart on them. Otherwise, you're going to, in high-speed mode, you're going to ruin, ruin the tape. But it's just one more time, you know, the virtues of vinyl. Just, you know, there's, there's, the, there's the master, and it sounds great, as long as it's a good pressing. I actually saw a very interesting quote today from uh, Rob Zombie. I don't know if... Uh, He's always got good quotes. Yeah, yeah. He's good. Uh, according to uh, metalinjection.com. You know it. I guess it was from an interview with Kerrang! magazine. <laughs> and they're still around? They're still around, yeah. Mm. Uh, remember they just got bailed out? Didn't they go bankrupt? And somebody no, you're thinking of Metal Hammer? Metal Hammer. Yeah. Oh, so close, so close. I just really didn't know Kerrang. I haven't seen it since like '97 or something. Uh, so Rob Zombie was quoted as saying, and I'm not going to do a Rob Zombie impression when I read this, just just so that's clear. <laughs> I don't know. Kind of want to hear that. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he says, "I like making music. I'm different than a lot of people that I hear talking. I don't care if people are buying it. I'm sick of hearing about the old days. Who gives a shit?" Talking about CDs, it's like you sound like your grandparents talking about CDs. Drop it, man. Fucking boring topic. I don't care if they steal it, whatever they can. I prefer they sneak into the store and steal the vinyl. But if they choose to steal the download, that's okay too. But I challenge you, start stealing the vinyl if you're going to steal our music. Dick. Wow. 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 Well, yeah, that was kind of like when um, Radiohead the, didn't they put their record out for any any amount? Like, oh, just pay whatever yeah, you want. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, this is after like you know a record company invested you know millions of dollars through th- three or four records, you know, to help break their name, and then all of a sudden they're like, you know, oh yeah, you don't have to pay for it, and what does that do for the industry? Yeah, you know, um, it devalues your own product. Yeah, yeah, whatever it takes to, for the major, you know, megalopolis yeah. uh, corporations to. To infiltrate your mind, you know, whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, I can't believe Rob Zombie said that. Yeah. That's I mean, uh, I see it from his perspective. Sure, he just wants them to listen to listen it, to and rightfully music. so. He said, listen to it in the best possible format. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it sort of reminds me when uh, System of a Down put out "Steal This Album." There was a big like debate. I worked for Foye at the time, and. They were like considering not even bringing the album in because they were so offended. Wow! At the yeah. actual title of it. Well, wasn't that album put out because uh, they were tracks that they were working on that someone got a hold of it and leaked the whole thing? Hmm. So then the band was like, "Well, fuck it, the album's out there, so here it is anyway. Steal this album." And they just kind of they just like sort of embraced it and they're like, "Fuck it, everybody has it for free anyway." So I never knew a- that side of it. Here's like a you know like it didn't have a booklet or anything. Yeah, it was, it was just just a disc, just a disc and a disc. case. Yeah. yeah, and that was it. Yeah, I kind of remember something like that. Yeah, and, uh, that's that's what I remember. I could be I could be. I only wrong. knew it from the store perspective because I didn't actually give a shit about the record. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I was thinking on on the drive here, like you know, um, I don't know if you guys ever like you know have your favorite albums of all time or anything like that. That's so oh, hard any, for sure. You have them, yeah. Well, I should say I know I know. Probably like it changes. Yeah, three off the top of my head. The yeah. rest kind of are in flux. There's yeah. one I'll never, never remove. Let's say that. Yeah, I think I have yeah. exactly. I have yeah. one that I know hands down. Yeah, never coming out. I've I've got five that that are in my top ten, no matter what they are. Off the top of your head, you know? Yeah, 
Oh, yeah. let's do it. Let's I'm, do it. I'm ready. Are you ready? Yeah. Oh, okay. Are you, uh, should I start? Since yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, for, the first one is the funniest one, but I but I think it really matters to like why you know music means something. The first one is uh, John Denver's Rocky Mountain High, when I was you know probably like eight years old or something like that, and my brother had a guitar but didn't play it. It was just kind of like I just yeah. embraced that album, and that's what like brought me to playing guitar, you know, mm. as it were. Uh, it'd be that. It'd be uh, Refuse Shape of Punk to Come. Just, you know, probably mm. the most mm. awesome album ever recorded. One of the most <laughs> awesome albums ever recorded. Uh, Boston's first album, Boston. Uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Spin and Wheel. And um, Beach Boys High Water, hmm. uh, which is a live album. I don't know if you guys know it. It's, it's kind yeah. of a little rare album. But, uh, yeah, that's that was like a double album that I just absolutely wore out. Uh, followed by probably Renaissance Live at Carnegie Hall, which I think I bought here for my daughter, as a matter nice. of fact. Yeah. So that's six out of five. <laughs> wow. Permanently, wow. permanently mounted there. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, all right, next. Steve Z? Oh, busted. Uh, uh, he's not ready. Okay. So, uh, not in any particular order. Okay. I'm going to start with number one uh, Nick Cave. This is the number one? Like the number one. Okay. At yeah. least at this moment. Okay. This will yeah. never leave the top, but right. at this very moment, the number one, it would be Nick Cave's <laughs> Push the Sky Away. Yeah. Just, oh, fucking. Yeah. Just devastating yeah. and brilliant yeah. record. Mm. Um, Pink Floyd, Wish You Were Here, will always be on my list. Yeah. Weezer Pinkerton. Oh, yep. great one. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I got to pick a Tom Waits record, but I'm not sure which one. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what I'm willing that's, to commit to. Those four. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. Okay. Jimmy. Uh, uh, I know, uh, like, right off the bat, for sure, uh, there's this band called Keel Hall. And uh, they had an album called Triumphant Return to Obscurity. Okay. And my God, that album, like, I can listen to that. I could wear that record out. I own at least three copies of it. I own a test press of it. Like, it's it's one of my favorites of all time right. for sure. Right. Uh, Faith No Morse, King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime. That album. Oh, I guess really even uh, – I've always been a, like a big Mike Patton fanboy, and there's also the Dillinger Escape Plan with Mike Patton album. Yeah, Panasonic Youth or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, actually, that's what I call that EP. I forget what that was for. So. <laughs> Panasonic well, Youth? Well, because one of the songs was called Panasonic Youth. I was going to say, that's a song, it, but yeah. It, but it wound up on the next record. Uh, Irony is a Dead Scene. Irony is a Dead Scene, yeah. That right, album yeah. Like, awesome. changed my life, changed yeah. how I thought about music yeah. like and heavy music and what you could do. Yeah, absolutely. That's all I'm doing for now. Okay. Actually, this was a good segue because we just had uh, we just had your your other assistant show up. Yeah, Alec is here. Alec, yeah, Alec he was here back. last time on the on our last episode of the podcast. Here, a little late, but I managed to make my way here. That's okay, man. Yeah, welcome. You can all right, it. so I'm doing what top we, five? We just, just did the just... intro to the podcast, so you're right on time. Don't worry. Cool. All right. Uh, <laughs> cool top it's albums you could never live yeah. without. Definitely, uh, Pink Floyd, The Wall, first album I listened to all the way through. Uh, Weezer's White album that came out recently hmm. actually just it hit me in the feels. It came out at a good time, yeah, right mm-hmm. before summer. Uh, and Maddian, he's a French electronic producer. His album Adventure, which turned me on to electronic music, and is also just composition, probably one of the best things I've ever heard. Okay, those three will be there. Back to Steven. Uh, <clears throat> well more into the hip-hop stuff. Mm-hmm. I didn't really start listening mm-hmm. to any other music until I started working with him, so I don't know enough 
It's just uh, whatever you feel, man. Yeah, yeah, the, these yeah, are your island is, records, you yeah, know. You're stranded hell, on I said John Denver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, some, I, mean. I was more offended at Boston. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, number one would have to be uh, Dr. Dre the Chronic. First one or 2001? The first one, 92. Great record. throw 2001 in there too dude that was a classic man <laughs> I my god I was like hey, yeah. over you guys are cashing out the register. dude when that came in we like immediately I was like we have to put this on and I probably haven't listened to it in I don't know five or six years yeah. and I was astounded at how many horribly offensive lyrics I still remember <laughs> <laughs> right off the top of my head yeah just I was like god this is I don't remember being so offensive and holy shit I know every word to this record um so those two um Say uh, Reasonable Doubt, Jay Z, the first one. Illmatic. Uh, Nas. Nas Illmatic is every year one of the top selling LPs in the store. Like if you look, if I put compiled it into the year, yeah. it's one of the things we sell the most of. Right. Yeah. Um, and then more recently, not really more recently, but before those, uh, I have to go with probably every. It's the greatest thing about music is everybody's got their own taste. And, and like for me, like a lot of those records are just they're you know, they're instrumental points of my life. It's like they totally have yeah. Things, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, John Denver was the first guitar, it was acoustic guitar, you know, and then Boston was the first electric guitar, you mm-hmm. know. And then, you know, composition and stuff and you go through and you you know, you find why these records are still, you know, instrumental to you or whatever, why mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. why you gravitated to them. You know, I mean I, and I, there's there's like a you know, you could probably list a hundred records, everybody, you know, that like, oh yeah, if you had to go, you know, save your record collection out of your house, you know, how, you know, what would yeah. you write? Oh, God you know. damn it. Yeah. I don't even know. want to think about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shit. Uh, what about direct versus um, belt driven? I mean, you guys have, I mean. Going to the turntable going functionality. Going to turntable functionality here now, portion of the program. Belt. Any? You go belt? Belt. Yeah. Belt and uh, you made me question all my thoughts on linear last time, but uh, <laughs> I still feel partial to uh, non-linear. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the the debate with the linear is just that the mechanisms are normally so complicated that you know they can often get in the way of the playback. Whereas you know a simple pivoting device, especially a unipivot arm, you know it's just the geometry on it is just a lot easier to. To uh, not get messed up. I've got a uh, a linear repair back there right now that I actually have. SFDL1? Yeah, yeah. How did I know that? I, right? uh, How did I know that? <laughs> I had to uh, call them and let them know that we're not going to be able to fix that. It's just there's so much going yeah, on. It like yeah. all, It's just, it's a logic board problem and like hunting it down. This kid's like 22. There's no way he's going to oh, wow. spring for the, you know, 20 hours worth of. Yeah. Yeah. Work well, has to go into in, the thing. Maybe if he's interested in selling it for like parts, because um, my brother has my old one. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was my first linear tracking turntable. And but the cartridges are almost impossible to get too because they're a special kind of shell, as I hmm. remember. Yeah, I think it's just an Audio Technica. Is it an Audio Technica yeah. cartridge on it? Oh, yeah, okay, maybe I think that's so. Good. Yeah, okay. Just a little, the little P mount one. But yeah, does so. it? They require like a special stylus for a. 
Well, I mean, for, just the depends me, you know, on the, the model. Yeah, the mechanisms are. I mean, not like my my linear tracking is just you know it's a, just a normal tone, tone arm, so you can put yeah. any cartridge on it uh, as long as you balance it and everything. But uh, I remember that one it was yeah, and you, yeah, you had that thing you could skip it around. Yeah, the buttons. yeah. It was it was an awesome little turntable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the functionality of that stuff. Um, and you know, it's something interesting we're doing a lot of now too is box sets. Mm-hmm. Are you guys selling a lot of box sets? No. no, I'm always weary of box sets. Yeah. Like depends on depending on the artist, I'll bring it in. But it also the price point, even if they're gonna like Warner Brothers or Rhino is a good example, is they'll put the box set out first. Right. And then four or five, six months down the line they'll break up the box set so you could buy the individual pieces. Right. The right. individual pieces always sell better. I think it just from a, a budget perspective. Mm. Okay. Yeah, we've been dealing with some like Euro companies that are like, you know, Buying up, um, like, you know, tri-state area metal bands uh, hmm. and stuff like that, and we're remastering them for these box sets. And, hmm. you know, they're doing limited editions, you know, like, you know, 1,000 or 2,000 run or something like that. But it's uh, kind of interesting that uh, a lot of bands are getting a second chance at getting, you know, their stuff remastered. And a lot of stuff wasn't really even available on CD believe it or not, you know, stuff out of the eighties and stuff like that. Right. That just, right. You know, it was just way too expensive to put mm-hmm. on CD. So, uh, they're putting it out on CD and they're doing uh, some limited vinyl, some of hmm. it as well. It's funny that you mentioned that I might, I might cut this out, but, uh, uh, uh friends of mine are in a band who, uh, were a two thousands metal core band and they were signed to, uh, I think a small Jersey ish label. They were signed to, uh, eyeball records. But uh, I guess are you familiar with? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh sure. okay. See, yeah. I, I I had never heard but of them. I, yeah. yeah. Uh, but so they just got the rights back to put out their old albums. They're repressing their old albums, and basically they they were like, yeah, some oh, right. they they just outright bought the whole catalog. They bought the whole label catalog, but now we own the publishing again. So now we can put it out on right. our own label, and they're. Right. Self pressing, self putting it out, and and doing it. Can but, you say what the name of the band is? I mean, no, I can't. I can't say. You can't say. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't say. say shouldn't say. It. Yeah, I'll edit that part out. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Well, I mean, that's kind of like what I was saying. That's what's kind of happening. It's and it's a, a weird little thing, but it's great for us because you know you really get to you know get into the catalog of a band and mm-hmm. you know get you know try and you know remaster it so that across two three four records there's a little more consistency over it you know Mm -hmm. because a band may be releasing four albums you know the first one they may have put out on their own so they didn't have any money Mm -hmm. and the second or the third it may have been and then by the time they made the fourth one maybe they were doing well and so it sounds awesome um but uh yeah it's it's a an interesting uh part of our business that uh, and it's actually we do a lot of it in the summer for some reason it seems like you know while the bands are out touring it's, yeah, reissues yeah. are bigger in the summer because nobody wants to release new music in the summer because all of Europe is on vacation. Ah, see, that's funny you put it that way because I took the reissues thing as uh, like there's so many bands that are uh, in what I would consider, and I mean this in a non-condescending way, but I, there's so many bands who are in like a nostalgia period where you know they're not putting out new music; they're just sort of playing shows to get paid and to play things and to enjoy it and right. like that's right. when all the festivals are so like you right. know so they do these reissues to sort of coincide so they have something to tour on and it's just all you know they're touring then too because it's you know uh, everybody is on vacation and like 
the month of August in particular, oh, yeah. nothing in nothing comes out because Europe is shut down. Like right. no mm. one is around. Yeah, mm. they have holiday. Yeah, they do, they actually <laughs> That's live they, sometimes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. It's kind of kind of a crazy option. So, like you know, we've talked to labels about summer release schedules, and uh, they're reluctant just for that very reason because right. it's you know it's not just a U.S. market anymore. Right. What about mm. Australia? Um, same. Same. You have the same in- interesting. Uh, phenomena happen with them but it's even though it's winter down there it's not really summer at the same time (laughs) well i mean that was the whole point of global street day but they were already friday so it didn't really affect them in any way but um yeah it's you know that's the the phenomena it's all it's what's supposed to be day and date and again i could keep griping about this no i don't move on i i remember clearly uh death magnetic when it was released on uh september 12th in uh, actually i don't remember the year but i remember it was september 12th it was like 2007 or something like yeah, that. I was yeah. say oh, that long ago yeah wow yeah. holy shit yeah so uh it kind of cra- kind of crazy but yeah you used to be able to depend upon that you know and yeah I, I mean i was eagerly waiting to hear because i had heard so much you know hype about the mm-hmm. record and you you know yep line up at walmart you know just to go get it you know quickly and pulled it back to the studio and we spent about uh, 45 minutes trying to see what was wrong <laughs> because we played it and it was all distorted. And we're like, this can't be like, what's going on with this? And literally changing digital cables, changing, you know, you know, transport drives and things and just trying to say, wait, hold on. What's going on here? And and you mean just in the context of you got the final product and we're listening we, to that. Yeah, we got the final product and we're listening to it. And it was just like, this is this is wrong. This can't be right. This can't be right. And it was right. It was hmm. it was intentionally distorted. Who uh, who produced that? Was that Bob Rock again? Uh, you know, I'm pretty sure he must have been involved in it. Um, but I think um, <coughs> Guru Man. Um, uh, it was released September 12th, 2008. Oh, here. I got the right date, though. Yeah. I was good. And was it was good. produced by Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin. Rick yeah. Rubin. Oh, how could we forget wow. Rick Rubin? And it was uh, their first album since And Justice for All to not be produced by Bob Rock. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Wow. Did, did he, I wonder if he recorded it. I don't think so, actually. He probably – after – I would assume was, Rick yeah. would have uh, – Well, he didn't engineer – I don't think he, he – Rick wouldn't have engineered it. But you know, his style of producing is definitely like, you know, okay, bring me the tape. Let's take a listen. Let's see where it's at. Yeah. Kind of feeling. You know, record 40 songs and pick 10 kind of, kind of thing. <laughs> uh, well, you know, guy was vice president of Sony, I think, for a while, right? Didn't he? Wasn't he? Or, or Columbia was one of the labels. Rick? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Didn't he have a title I mean, like that? I, I don't think so. I mean, Def Jam for sure. But Def Jam early, yeah, because yeah, he was one of the founders of Def Jam. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, but you know, and he's the one like he's the one that changed the Beastie Boys from a punk band to a, mm-hmm. a hip hop band. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, I listened to a podcast with him once. That was one of the most interesting podcasts I've ever listened to because he insisted on the whole thing being done in a sauna, like his personal sauna. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I heard that. that I can't remember the guy who did it. Yeah. There's a guy that's like a famous He's like a fitness sort of guy. that's right. That's right. um, Yeah. Yeah. And they're like – it was a whole conceptual thing because, like, the mics were starting to frizzle out because right. it was, like, 220 degrees in there. <laughs> but then every, like, 20 minutes they had to shift and they would go to an ice bath and then they'd come back. And That's right. That's right. Yeah. Feel free to start uh, playing cards like that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <Get> <laughs> that, that'll, that'll do it. It yeah. was 93 degrees. You could say we could do this in a pool outside, you say? We could. We could. That would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> get, get some flotation devices and some beer holders. You listening, Gear Gods? Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, you know, and I'm actually doing something. Uh, you guys are familiar with Sonos uh, speaker systems at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to be checking them out. Um, I'm going to be doing a uh, actually going to be doing a seminar down in the city uh, about vinyl and about high definition audio and why. And because their whole speaker system is really it's wireless, right? Or they have wireless it is, high definition. It's ball Bluetooth based, yeah. as far as mm-hmm. I know. Yeah, which you know, you're supposed to be getting me a set to check out before I. I go down and no matter what, there's it. loss when you I, yeah, unplug yeah, those yeah, cables. No, I know. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, we've got expensive cables ourselves too. I wish, um, I wish Roberto was actually here for this because I believe he has Sona, so he could weigh in on oh, this. Does Let's he? Call yeah. Him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Put him on speaker. <laughs> Patch him in. Yeah. Get him off that honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, when, train. when is the presentation you're you're doing? It's next month in July. Actually, I think we're trying to finalize a date, uh, middle of July. Okay. What's the uh, the forum? It's just um, you know they're bringing in people that, to promote high fidelity, and hmm. so we're going to be talking about mastering for vinyl. Who's they? Uh, I'm sorry, the the company. Okay. And actually, it's with uh, it's with uh, with Gear Gods, I guess it could be. Um, yeah, it could be uh, through uh, through them. Mm-hmm. I think there might be like sponsoring the event or something like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, we're going to talk about you know. I mean, I think it's great because. Get earbuds out of everybody's, you know, playback systems. I fucking know? hate earbuds. I know. We, you know, <laughs> we, we do that all the time. We'll, you know, we'll send something out to, to a band to listen to, and it's like, what are they listening on? It's, yeah. it's a big question, you mm-hmm. know. And a matter of fact, just today, we were, we were doing something, and I hit the producer back with the full sequence, and he was like, well, you know, the artist has only got his iPad right now, so he's listening to it on that. I'm like, how, you know, so anything we can do to improve, you know, long-term, you know, high, higher fidelity – is uh, yeah, that's right there in my book, you know. Uh, did you guys still have those Dalquist speakers here? Yeah, yeah, you we do. Them? Yeah, yeah. you fly, fire them up yet? I, I just got these other speakers today from a company I didn't know existed, and literally until today. Uh, have you heard of Taylor speakers? No. no well, they're no. based right here in the Hudson Valley, and there's some pretty fucking high end speakers. Wow. Like, mm-hmm. you know, not yeah. like out of this world or yeah, anything, yeah, but like, yeah. I got a little pair of bookshelves on the counter up there that are seven hundred. For a new pair. Wow, nice. So, they sound good. Yeah, yeah they, they sound pretty awesome. They, wow. Yeah, they sound great. They're super heavy. I was like really surprised. I right. never and I never heard of them. And then I went mm-hmm. on the website and I was like, Where? What is, where in the Hudson Valley? Can best you I can discern is Columbia County. Oh, okay. so one little, one county up. up. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have to check them out. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I uh, we were talking earlier. Like, we want to try and get in touch with this person and see if maybe we can start carrying their stuff in the store. Cause yeah, how much how much work how much uh, sales do you have going on in the hardware department over there? Um, it's growing for yeah. sure. Like, you know, we've always done decent with new turntables, and um, ever since we've moved to this space, we've uh, the used equipment has you know skyrocketed. Right. Um, especially when we get higher end pieces in, like those mm-hmm. fly out of here. Like yeah. I had a. I had a Marantz, like a 70s Marantz for less than 48 hours. Wow, yeah, right. And uh, like some Nakamichi stuff has gone really well. And we're always selling any silver-faced receiver out the door. Wow, cool. Those even are uh, uh, on our social media are super hot. Yeah. Like we post them. We've had ones – I think it was even that Marantz specifically was – I posted it and within I want to say half an hour, somebody was on the phone paying for it on their credit card. You didn't even know about this one like – I got it on Friday afternoon, <laughs> and I sold it Sunday morning. 
Wow. It, like, I wasn't even on the shelf yet. We're just sitting on the counter that's, waiting to I be mean, processed. It's so awesome. I mean, it's, you know, the fact that that's coming back, you know, I remember like thinking like as everybody was getting into their iPods and everybody, you know, the whole portable device and the earbuds and everything. And it was just like, but there's no quality there. Where are we going? How can we get back from this? And it's all coming around again. Thank God for cassettes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some kind of cassette mechanism. And on the other side of the token, though, there's plenty of people who just don't understand. I um I was invited by somebody who I know works in the music industry was throwing this huge thing on Saturday, like full stage setup, food trucks, vendors, like the whole whole works, like twenty bounce houses or this place. Right. right. <laughs> and uh, so he he asked me if I'd come set up. I said, Yeah, sure, okay, no no big deal. Right. So I get there and I set up, and I sat there and I sat there and I sat there, and I had the whole day maybe three people come into my tent and they're like. Oh, albums. Albums are coming back, huh? And we like had a whole conversation. Wow. Then the last guy I talked to, I'm like, I'm saying, well, it just sounds better and blah, blah, blah. Right. And then we, we had a back and forth for a while. He goes, yeah, but they just they take up so much space. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, uh, okay, this this conversation's done now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's something to, you know, like I talked about this Barry Schwartz uh, TED talk about how um, – you know, there's just a shift in the mind when there's too many choices to be made, you know, and I just think that that all entails coming back to playing vinyl and I, and I guess cassettes as well. In the fact that like, you know, you, you, your choice is limited as to how you go about the song order, the playlist or the whatever I mean, mm. you go. Yeah. You know, we all mentioned, you know, whatever, half a dozen records each or whatever. I'm sure we each have hundreds of records or whatever, but you know, you don't have 10,000 albums. At, well, I mean, some people do Michael Fremont does but i mean you know but you know a lot of people don't have that much vinyl but they all have it on their phone or they all have it instantly accessible on yeah. their spotify but what really matters is the stuff that you carry around in you know a dozen milk crates or whatever you know that you keep that you just keep carrying no matter where you go from place to place mm-hmm. and then you pull one out and it has a memory about it and you're, you know you might have wrote some notes on it or something or remembered where the skips were or where the static pops were I, uh, I have my whole collection cataloged on, yeah, uh, on really? Discogs. Yeah, I use Discogs yeah. as oh, a cataloging yeah, yeah. app. Wow, wow. And so, like, when I buy a record and I put it in my collection on Discogs, I'll as long as I didn't buy it from us, right? I wrote down like where I bought it, the date I bought mm. it. I, uh, so if I'm, you know, I'm in Florida and I'm at a store. Good. I'm like, okay, I bought this at Park Ave CDs on wow. blah blah blah. Just so wow. you know, when I'm a senile old man, I can maybe go. Hey, that's where that. I got that from, and maybe I'll remember that trip or something like that. Wow, that's awesome! Yeah, I mean, but that's what that's like. I said when I and when I brought up my favorite records, it, you know, they're they're not necessarily. I don't listen to those records. Well, maybe the Boston one. No, <laughs> um, I don't really listen to those records anymore. But they were in they were records that changed the path of my life mm-hmm. in music, in for whatever reason. And that's what's so awesome about them, you know. And I I think I still have all of those records on vinyl. And like I said, and then you pass you buy your own copies for your for your offspring. Then next, and you you know you try and turn them onto it. So I started a thing with my with my daughters where like you know they were in no way old enough to understand, but we'll say it's music time, and I'll go just go pick a record, and so they'll point at one on the shelf, and right. that's the record we play. Yeah, and it's sometimes it's kind of cool because I haven't listened to that record in ten years or something mm-hmm. like that. Well, when you guys had like the record store day, and you had the packages of like the unknown records, mm. like mystery guys, bags, yeah, the mystery bags. You guys bought stuff like oh, left and right. <laughs> yeah, I've got like two or three. Those are. 
the probably like sadly but not sadly one of the hottest selling items in the store yeah. and we can't keep up with them yeah that record store day we sold almost 300 mystery bags wow wow and like we we took a day two days leading up to record store day just to make a lot of bags because we knew we would sell a lot i didn't think we'd sell out right right but like i had i had strategically stashed around the store because i didn't want to put them in the back room and right. forget about them so right. there are places i would never put them and they were just i'm taking them and refilling the rack yeah I, I can think of two records that I bought based on just a whim. One was um, Atlanta Rhythm Section, the the cover that looked like the tape machine. Mm-hmm. You know that I bought that record just because it looked cool, so I bought that album. Another one was uh, Leah Kunkel, um, um, Step Right Up album, just based upon uh, she looked like a friend of mine, and so I bought two. I, there were cutouts at like <laughs> yeah. wherever two guys or Corvettes, whatever the store was, and I bought them. And um, and I gave one to my friend because it, you know it, it literally was like kind of a split an image of her. And I said, "Just check this out. You, you got your own album, you know." <laughs> and years later, I wound up meeting Leah Kunkel, <coughs> and you know, and it wound up being one of my favorite albums just because I had no idea who it was, but it, they were great songs, they yeah. were just really, really awesome songs. You know, just an awesome, awesome thing to fall in love with. I feel like there are even things that you like. I always say this uh, that there are things you should just have in your in your catalog. If you're like a record collector, I'm like, you should always have like an album that you just buy on artwork alone, right. having no idea what the music yeah. is. Yeah, uh, one of mine is you should always have uh, something with either, uh, you know, you should have something with some kind of nudity. Like <laughs> I was going to say offensive, but being you know people being nude on the cover isn't necessarily an offensive thing. Right. right. But like you know something with like you know with someone naked on the right. front cover. Right. Uh, something like I love. Uh, you know, like super rare pieces. Like I remember going to a, a record show with you when we when we first became friends, and the guy was playing a record that was like satanic rituals yeah, yeah, put yeah. onto an LP, and I was like, "Fuck, I need that in my collection." <laughs> I mean, I feel like I just have to. I would never listen to it, but shit, you never know when you need to pull that out at a party. Yeah, yeah. you know, like there, yeah. there's just certain yeah. things that I feel like everyone should have those just for the sake of having them. Yeah, I have a weird affinity for. Um, collect like records of specific sounds so for example i have a record that's just uh different orca cries like when calls oh yeah and uh <laughs> I have that's a, amazing i have a whole record of ca- different canine heartbeats and Whoa. uh i have a record of human heartbeats like different like it's like they're medical professional records like where like this is how you learn what different arrhythmias and things sound like. Right. That shit's so oh. weird and cool that I just whenever I find them I have to have them. I remember that. It's yeah. like my own audio mutter museum in the house. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we had to do a transfer of a fourteen inch army um radio mm-hmm. station mm-hmm. uh record because that's what they would do. They would cut them onto acetates and you know, and then distribute them to all of the different and, and because they if 14 inch was longer and it had more playing yeah. time, they cut them onto these 14 inch records and the person couldn't even play it. You know, <laughs> uh, going back to box sets, uh, I know we're jumping around a little bit here, but uh, okay. going back to box sets recently, there has been a lot of box sets. And I will say even in the last month, every week there's been something so, like t- to where uh, I think I even made a social media post one day. I was like, well, 
box set train <laughs> keeps rolling through. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This, this past week was a U2, which yep. had two different versions of the box set. Just for Joshua Tree as yeah. well. I mean, even Ch- I think Childish Gambino was the first one where the only format he put his out in was a box. Was a box. Right. That's like uh, that's a questionable box though because it's not like it's a. It was still only one LP. It just had the book and then the 3D viewer inside as well. Right. Right. But this this year, I've bought three box sets already. This year, yeah, there's the the Bright oh. Eyes retrospective mm-hmm. and the two Tom Petty box sets. There was a Bob's Burgers box set. Okay, yeah, I bought that. And then the so it's just like every week, I feel like there's been one thing, and that that was in fact the first new box set I think I've ever bought. Bob's Burgers was the Bob's Burgers mm-hmm. one. Like I, you know, I've have a couple that are older used ones, but right. this was the right. first box set was like. All right, and you with, got me. And without divulging industry secrets, because uh, I don't know how many people that listen to uh, these podcasts understand that you know owning a, a vinyl shop that you have to actually purchase the vinyl. You know? Yeah, I mean it's no 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 secret, but it's no secret, but it's a little known fact yeah. is that like, the reason we can exist and uh, the reason that you don't see like Best Buy and places on a larger scale doing what we're doing is because vinyl is one way, which yeah. means you buy it, you own it. So it's it's too much risk for to them. The store. Yeah. yeah, that's what people don't realize. It's like, yeah, you you're vested in that product because you can't yeah. return it. Yeah. So that's like when you know, when I say I'm weary about box sets, it's yeah. because it's a big outlay of cash yeah, that you tend to sit on for quite a while. Like yeah. I've got a I think like an eight hundred dollar Bob Marley box set over there. <laughs> right. Which right. In retrospect, I wish I had not purchased, but I was like, somebody might want this, yeah. and yeah. Uh, you know, I try to I try to have things when people want them, as opposed to having to wait for them. Yeah, there was we did a, a Sufjan Stevens box set, Christmas box set. Oh, that was great. Yeah, that was and his his theory, but they weren't really full length. So you do no, you no. remember they were like five or six, five discs, and they were all like twenty five minutes or something, yeah, yeah, or maybe twenty seven minutes. And I remember talking to him, and he was just like, well, nobody really needs to hear 60 minutes of the same artist singing Christmas songs. Yeah. And he kind of <laughs> felt like, you know, if you put it put it together as like a 25 or a 27-minute disc, like that's enough. Like, you know, you don't have to have yeah, yeah. a full 60 minutes. And you got five choices there. So, you know, you can just kind of rotate right. those discs. Back to the tactile, you know, experience even, you know. Um, That's funny. I never, I never thought about strategizing your box set that way. Like, yeah, yeah. Considering the format for what people will use more as an enticement to uh, to well, sell it. He, he was originally he would just. I think he's the first one was a gift. He he did a a Christmas EP and didn't sell it, but he just mailed it to all of his friends. Like I, I got mm-hmm. one, you know. And so anyone that they knew professionally or friends, he would just as a Christmas gift, he would just send them. You know this Christmas EP, in a sense, you know, with him singing these Christmas songs. And I think after the second one, he was just kind of like, you know, this is actually pretty cool because each year somebody's getting a new set of, you know, yeah. six songs or seven songs, but not twelve or something mm-hmm. like that. Which is kind of like, you know, do we really need to hear, you know, I don't know, you know, the Charleston singers doing, you know, forty minutes of, <laughs> you know, hymns or something, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's it was it was an interesting concept. And he, and again. Yeah, it worked. I thought, um, and and back to uh, terms of like mastering for something like that. You know, it's, if you keep it in mind that it's supposed to be dynamic, people leave on twenty seven minutes yeah. of music just in the background kind of feel. 
I totally can't get out of my mind the Eugene Merman box set that came out uh-huh. uh, uh, like so last year. Good, huh? It was originally supposed to be a hundred discs. <laughs> <laughs> But they cut it down to like four or something like that. And one whole side is just him making orgasm sounds. <laughs> and one whole side is just him crying. <laughs> uh, I think there was a super deluxe version, which was like a um, – it was like a really fancy hotel chair that had a, a carved out place with an MP3 player that played the whole thing. And right. You, right. there was only one. It was like three grand and somebody right. fucking bought it. Oh, man. Oh, man. But you know, I you know, admittedly, that's what's great about you know retail music. I mean, in a sense, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like you know buying gifts for like for people like that. You know, I mean, how many times I you know I know that we're as a family or something buying gifts or something for a birthday or a holiday or something, and always vinyl or you know, I mean, if, like my daughter buying vinyl for friends or something like that. Yeah, it's always a great great opportunity mm-hmm. to to give them something that they'll hold on to. Yeah. Very difficult to uh, give to someone in a way that doesn't immediately indicate that you're giving them a record. Yeah, yeah. that's the the yeah. one challenge. Like you know, for yeah. uh, my girlfriend's birthday, I gave her a record. She's like, "Okay, like, you know, <laughs> I know what this is." Yeah, yeah, it's kind of hard to hide that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, the the, the bigger problem though is like getting people to actually play their records. Yeah, because like you know, if you talk to like all, all the labels have commissioned studies about who the vinyl consumer is and most of the feedback is that people – the majority of people buy but then do not play albums. Right. They're just mm-hmm. buying them to have them. Right. So like well, I'm always considering like how do we – how do we convert the vinyl buyer into a vinyl listener? And that's that's a pretty big hurdle. Yeah. I mean I think – well, yeah, the first hurdle is the hardware. Like you know, yeah. is them – you know – getting something useful that works mm-hmm. you know um that's that's the interesting uh wording for it too something useful but that also works and yeah. represents what you've done correctly yeah because yeah. you know a lot of times it's not being represented now, correctly. We, we i think we touched upon this last time about doing maybe like a seminar up here about stylus alignment cartridge yeah. alignment you know we should plan that yeah know? i would love to you do know? that and uh and get out the pr- protractors and get out, you know, the, mm-hmm. the strobe, you know, for, you know, to measure. I have a strobe. But, yeah, I don't I actually don't own a strobe. Yeah, you know, and just kind of check turntable speed. Because, like, when we talked about belt versus direct drive, you know, it's like, yeah, belt, of course, always, except if you're a DJ. Except for you're That's yeah. what I say to people all the time. I say, are you scratching? Right. Do you – otherwise, you don't need it. Right. Right, and yeah. it's it's more to go wrong. Yeah, and it's more mechanical noise. There's a yeah. whole, whole bunch of reasons why not to go there. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's the, the way to get them to listen to it is to educate them. I mean, that's really the only thing, and you know, and hence like why I'm going down to Sonus to talk to you know people about that, and um, and every you know we we talk to people about all, all the time when we're when we're mastering, you know, we'll. Um, you know, we'll master for, for standard digital first, you know, because mm-hmm. that's what everybody wants to hear. And that's the, that's the, mm-hmm. you know, what you're going to get on Spotify, what you're going to get on the CD, maybe what you're going to get on iTunes or maybe a version of it for master for iTunes. And then towards the end of the session, you know, and it was, this could be even like two weeks later or something after everybody's approved everything. They're like, oh, yeah, we need a vinyl master. And so it's like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll cut that for you, you know. And then you also give them an MP3 
of the side breaks so that they so in other words so if it's a 10 song record we send an mp3 of five songs together as one file mm-hmm. and then five songs together as another file and you, you know you just send it to them to say okay listen here's the side breaks because you know lots of times song five will bleed into six mm. or, or something like right. that and you want to make sure that they understand that you know right now guys you have side a is 27 minutes and side b is 13 minutes it's kind of an uneven break you know yeah, yeah. Whatever. so we we send them and it's amazing because obviously the mastering for the vinyl is different that sometimes they come back and they go well, why does this sound better and they're not even listening to vinyl yet but they're hearing you know mm-hmm. a, a more dynamic you know you know, perhaps, you know, less limited version and they're actually kind of liking it. So I think education is the biggest way. And that's why, you know, yes, we should just start doing some seminars up here. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, not every Tuesday because, you know, (laughs) but I mean, uh, every Wednesday. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One of the best ways I've found to get people to really listen to vinyls are finding one of their favorites, not their absolute, because then they won't open it, but one of their favorite albums. I had a friend who, got a, or I got him ghost stories cold play and I was like all right we're gonna listen to this and he's like why I don't want to open it I'm like no tr- you you really should listen to it he's like all right fair enough I'll listen and I got him hooked on it he went out and bought a suitcase player like two days later because he wanted to keep on listening to it and they started buying more vinyls and more vinyls you raise even an interesting point which is I think uh, a big hurdle is not understanding how to play records and being afraid of doing it for the first time. And we even uh, we had a I date so here where first time, yeah, but. we we had a girl who uh, who works here, and uh, you know we had, we're playing a record. And I said, like, "Hey, can you go flip that record?" And, and I remember, like, I you know I heard a bunch of noise, and I was, and I kind of look over, like, "What, like, what's, yeah, I was, what's happening?" I was standing right in front of her, and I had a quick like head jerk, like, yeah. "What's going on?" And then and then I realized, you know, like, you know, I, I looked at her, I was like, "Have you ever played a record before?" And she goes, "No, I haven't." And I was like. Holy shit! Stop! You should have said that right out the gate. We could have made this a special moment. I'll sh- like, I'll show you how to do everything. Like, we'll do this together. Let's make this like a great experience. You know, I don't want this to be the thing where like you're put on the spot and you're nervous and you, you know, you fuck it up and then you're embarrassed and you never do it again. Right, like, right. and so I told her, I was like, let's strike that from the record. Let's let's do this again. And and I know you talked to her about it. I taught her. I taught her about the cue lever. That was yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I showed her and like and I was like, all right, this this is the special one. This is your real first time. And, right. And right. we played the record, and, and I mean, I guess I'm also for like tradition and ceremony. You know, I, I like th- those sorts of things, and so I was like, "This is this is a big moment for you." But like playing your first record to, to me, you know, um, vinyl. Even though you know, as as I've discussed, that you know, it's there's so many technical things about it that are inferior to other formats. Um, but it's the action and the tactile thing that brings the listener to enjoying the music more, which is far more important, which is, which is the real win. You know? And again, when, when you think about if somebody's you know, buying a download or listening on Spotify or whatever, they may get one song, you know, especially if you're skimming through or you're listening to Apple Music or something and an artist comes on. You may say, hey, I really like that artist. I'm going to save that song. But you don't really get the album per se. And the mm-hmm. way you become endeared to the to the artist, I find, is by listening to multiple songs. Mm-hmm. And when mm-hmm. you have the vinyl, you you don't have a choice really. I mean, it's like there's that conscientious effort of, you know, two or three minutes of taking the album out. Hopefully, 
you know, cleaning it maybe, you know, and getting – putting it on the turntable and the the interactive part of which side do I play, A or B, you know, so there's a little, you know, game that we play with ourselves. <laughs> and then it's like when you pop that needle down, chances are you're not going to come back after the first four-minute song is over or two-minute song depending on what kind of music it is or it is and take it off. You're going to let it play and you're going to – and you're going to go about your thing just like letting it, you know – be in the background and you mm-hmm. you wind up falling in love and you find the mystery tracks that you didn't know were there or something <laughs> yeah you know and and uh, and that's that's what's great about it and i think we just it's you know i mean maybe we that was the point of the podcast tonight is to start some kind of education little process here at the store about you know yeah, how to open a record, how to not get your fingerprints on the on mm. on the actual vinyl itself, you know, and and also the sleeve, right? How many people put a record in a sleeve and then put the sleeve inside the jacket so that when you turn the jacket over, the the record will fall out of the sleeve? Yeah, like no, you can't do that. You've got to you know mm-hmm. juxtapose it so that you know if the, you know that it won't fall out. And we always talk to people about bagging their records as well. Mm-hmm. Do you believe in bagging them? One hundred percent. Yeah, to yeah. protect the artwork. Yeah, and you know, it just prevents the ring wear that happens when they're rubbing against one another. Uh, okay, yeah, from from a, from an art standpoint. Yeah, because yeah, like you condition. know, the bag will take the brunt of it as opposed to the jacket. Right, and I'm kind of thinking that I don't want the moisture to get sealed in there. Well, they're also open. I don't. I'm not a, a okay, fan of closed bags. Closed, yeah. Right, okay, so if you buy a record that's in a bag, open. Yeah, it. I, I'm a bagger for opening any record. Like, okay. don't leave any record sealed. Yeah. That that shrink will shrink yeah. over time and it, it can pull your records yeah. and then warp them just from not opening them mm-hmm. yes and don't stack them on top of each and other don't lay them flat <sighs> well i'll say for for listeners we're happy to answer any of your questions if you have turntable questions if you have vinyl questions if you want to know if you're doing something right come on in chat with us come and say hi we'll we're happy to answer all of your questions and even uh, uh we we offer this sort of informally but if you're buying a new turntable i guess to a lesser extent even a used turntable we're happy to set it up for you. We're happy to set it up with you. We'll explain the whole thing if, if you're going to buy it. And for the most part, once uh, once a tone arm is set up, a cartridge style is set up, you know, it's good. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you don't really need you, to fuck with it. Yeah, yeah. As long as you're not, you know, scratching the record across or whatever, it it, it stays set up. Or your awesome. cat is. Yeah, yeah, cats. Cats. Oh, it's adorable. First time I saw a cat jumping on top of my turntable, <laughs> I went out and bought a cabinet for the next day. <laughs> well, I think uh, I think that's the key. Just we, help, uh, them, help them set it up. It's still sort of in the works, but it, and on the same like education sort of vein, I started talking with some people from the school board from for Poughkeepsie City Schools about trying to get vinyl into like the library at the high school so that uh, kids could actually – have an opportunity to either listen to it there or take it home in some way. The logistics have never actually been worked out. Right. But that was something that we were trying to start just as like an opportunity because most kids don't have – you know, most people's parents I would say at this point have either gotten rid of them or forgotten about them or not taken care of them right. in one way or another right. or hopefully trading them into us so we can resell them. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, so I was just trying to come up with a way that – we could put albums in the hands of students without any cost to them. Yeah. Mm. yeah I remember when I was a kid, we used to be able to go to the library and take out records like a yeah. bunch. And I remember like doing that as a, as a yeah. kid, you know. I mean, they weren't like selling – it wasn't like Rolling Stones records per se. <laughs> but it was like, you know, the Carpenters. Yeah. <laughs> or something. And part of the program is so we have a um, like a loyalty card right. where you get a point for every dollar spent. And those points build up for various discounts that you right. can choose when you want to okay. redeem them. 
And uh, somebody, a good customer, I was just saying, well, you know, I don't really intend to use any of these points, but I have a lot of them. And what could I do with them in some sort of charitable way? And I was like, I don't know, but I'll get back to you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what I kind of came up with was people could donate their points to finance the purchase of the record for the school or for the you know the library or right. something. At our studio, we have an analog mixing studio, and um, originally we had set it up. Even though, like for the most part, you know, um, you know, I'm doing mastering all the time. I have still had my analog, you know, Studer 24 track machine and uh, you know big ass you know analog mixing board, and we set it up because we wanted engineers to come in to experience what analog sounds like. And you know, for I'd say maybe about two years, we had maybe about a dozen guys that would be like, okay, you know, and no, no charge is free. Like, you know, bring in your session if you want, if it's digital or whatever, or you want to try and track something to tape, just try it and experience it because it's the way of educating. And I used to do the same thing with surround. It would be like while we were mastering and while we were finishing up and maybe while we were making their final masters or something, I'd take them into the surround room and just let them experience like, you know, you know, a $30,000 surround system playing music, not watching, you know, Private Ryan or, right, you know, right. or some, you know, The Matrix or something where, you know, this all about special effects. But hearing The Shape of Punk to Come in surround is – did you have you guys even know that that existed? You told us last time. <laughs> yeah, oh, did I? No, I thought of it somewhere. And, you know, and nobody wanted to plop down the money for a DVD audio player right. or thing. So, and, and also, who, you know, it's hard enough to get people to buy two speakers and not have them pointing in different directions. Yeah. So to try to align a lot of surround sound. But gamers are into it. Gamers yeah. were, were heavily into those records. So, uh, because they, they, they have surround headphones mm-hmm. and they listen to things like that. So It's not the same, though. Fucking nerds. So the the, uh, the surround headphones. Seven point one surround, I think, is what most uh, most head- gaming is in headphones. Uh, headsets, yeah. They're so they got like all kinds of like smaller drivers in there. But I've listened to actual surround systems, and it's not even close. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, like, it's so compact. I I can. Or you got to drop like you have to major money. Yeah, because yeah. uh, at the tail end of my Fye days, uh, gamer headphones at Christmas time were. The fucking rage, like wow. yeah. you know, we'd have two pairs in August, but come November, I had twenty boxes full of them just for you know, <laughs> restocking the shelves with. Yeah. Anything else? Any other topics? Well, I think we had a a, a pretty good discussion here. I think yeah. I think this is a good place. I think we, I, I I have this idea about trying something new really quick here. We'll try to keep this to like two minutes. Oh, we'll do we'll do a bit. It's never gonna happen. Okay. <laughs> well, what we should try to do. Dark Side Podcast, because because you're our special guest here, Alan. Okay. I guess both of you as well. We're going to do a three-person lightning round. Oh, the lightning hang round. Hang on, hang on. Right. Okay. Let me try this again with sound effects. Lightning <laughs> round. I'm going to put them in post. I'm going to put uh, lightning okay. and thunder sound effects. I guess thunder sound effects, not really. So We've only ever be- been known for horse noises on this podcast. <laughs> God damn it. Wouldn't it be a thunder round, really? Like light- Okay, it doesn't yeah. matter. Okay. Okay, so we're going to do really quick question and answers. First one off the top of your head. You ready? Here we go. Something new that you discovered recently that you've enjoyed. Lightning round. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> I got one. Uh, yeah, go, uh, Alec, go. I listened to the band Metric for the first time after hearing wow. a song from Scott Pilgrim, and I thought it was just the one song that I liked, and the whole album it's off of, I don't know it off the top of my head. It's a great album. I want to listen to them more. Great band. Steve Z? 
know, the, the, the reason why I, I stumble on that, because it's, it's kind of like stalling. every record that I work on, in a sense. You know, it's just kind of like always finding something new. Mm. I want to point out this is uh, Alan's equivalent to saying, like, uh, I can't pick a record because they're all my favorite. <laughs> and also, I wind up listening to podcasts and talk radio when I'm, like, not working. Same. So, so maybe I'd say TED Talks. Okay. Uh, Question two. Something old that you have either rediscovered recently or has been re-released recently that, you know, you regained an appreciation for. <laughs> Sorry, should I make the more should I make the questions more simple? Uh, well, I had you one. should, but I got I'll answer that one. Clarence Carter. Maya Angelou. Wow. Abbey Road. All right. The Lightning Round. Best new hip hop record. Uh, I already forgot the name of it. Uh, wow. Lamar. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. All right, so much for the lightning round. Yeah, no, I tried. Yeah. You, you could say that the other way. You could do lightning round back. I used to always ask people their favorite flavor of yogurt. Well, you, you know, Ooh, what, that's a good one. Yeah, what's what's the hottest selling vinyl right now uh, this week? What's what's flying out the door? Roger Waters. Oh yeah, yeah. new Roger Waters yeah. record. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, and Mutoid Man. Yeah, Mutoid oh, Man for sure. A ton of Mutoid Man. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Which I'm super we, happy about. Love that band. We were yeah. hyping that record though because it's so fucking good. That's yeah. why. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any part of that? Uh, I've worked with him in the past. Yeah, I, I, let's see other questions. Um, what's the best-selling turntable? You guys have MMFs, right? MMF. Yeah. Five. No one buys them. Nobody buys those. No. What yeah, are they best buying? Best-selling is a specific. Best-selling is the LP60, yeah. Audio Tech LP60. Yeah. What's the price point on that? Roughly? 120. 120. Is it a USB turntable? No. No. 150 for USB. 150 mm-hmm. for USB. Okay. Um. Up after that is probably the music hall USB one, which okay. is their you know like USB. their their USB plastic Entry. shell table. Yeah, yeah. And then after that would be the Project Debut Carbon, which is That's you know basically the the two point two, right. but it has way more street cred than the two point two. Right. Lightning round. Um, Lightning I wish we were selling round. more U turns, but I'm just not sure the brand awareness is there yet. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. Well, we mm-hmm. gotta make, we gotta help that out. Whenever I tell people though that pretty much everything on the table is made in the U.S., though that is a really good selling point That's for them. Selling point. Yeah, it's, I was basically everything but the cartridge. So yeah, I mean, you know, if people could just you know realize that you know for, I guess, five hundred dollars they could get a turntable, probably a used receiver, and a decent set of speakers, right? And that's less than the cost of an iPhone. Our our biggest seller really is our starter kit, yeah. which we put together. It's powered speakers and the LP60. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, a brush and $35 worth of records for 300 bucks. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Wow. We put that together a couple of Christmas – maybe three Christmases ago now mm-hmm. right, right. as a sort of a response to the all-in-one unit. We just were a little fed up with them. Right, right. And um, it's we never took it off the docket because it's, it's done great. We sell them all year round now. Mm-hmm. That's inspiring and sound yeah. great. Truthfully, yeah, it's yeah. it just to yeah. to from that you know those little one inch speakers to this it's just fucking out of the water. Right, right, yeah, yeah. And well, like I, I and I could bitch about the LP sixty and its drawbacks all day long, but yeah. well, you know, there was a big there was a talk a while ago about like with bands should they release one song, three songs, you know, how many songs should a band go in, go in and record? And you know, I was always saying you, you got to do an album. You got to do a full length because that's how you find an artist. You don't get an artist out of a single or or something like that. It's like you know, you gotta. I'd rather see a band spend you know, 
less money per song and do try to do a full length and try to perfect the one song kind of scenario and that ties into you know the album concept and just you know really getting to know who the artist is uh, the single concept has been dead since the late yeah. 60s really yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. except Not for in the EDM pop world so, what's that yeah edm pop it's singles are where it's at yeah totally that, i mean that has forever been that market and like mm-hmm. you can even see that shift into yeah i, I think exactly. it's where you end up yeah. um unless you become the actual megastar I even uh, I like when bands release songs. The for example, like even when the new Mastodon came out, I listened to maybe twenty five seconds of a song, and I said I'm not listening to it to it until it comes until out. The whole album. That's how yeah. I've always been. I don't yeah. want to hear I, it yeah. alone because I don't want to get a conception of what the album is going to be. I just want to listen to the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. And I never really like. I could tell you what I like about an album, but I could never, generally speaking, never tell you the name of a track. Right, I just yeah. li- I just yeah. know it's you know the third song or whatever. Right, right. So. and I, I get that a lot too. We, we people will send in the first song for the mastering ahead of time, and and I'll ask for MP3s of the rest of the album, just you know even if they're just roughs, just to get an idea of what the album is supposed to sound like. You know what what's the depth of it? Because how can you you know how can you kind of master the lead off track by now without having heard the rest of the album? Mm. So. Maybe we'll do the remote podcast from West West Side. Yeah, yeah, that would love to do that. And uh, we have a record coming up that we could do that with. That'll be part three. That'll be part three. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Coming up soon. All right. Cool. Well, thanks for being a great store, guys. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Pleasure. Cool. Well, uh, I guess that's it for uh, this month's episode. Uh, Once again, this has been the Dark Side Records podcast. Uh, If you enjoy this podcast and you're listening on iTunes or whatever your format is, just head on over to the store. There's a little rating section. Just go and give it a little clicky. I don't want to tell you how many stars, but it should be no less than uh, five. (laughs) I'll take 37. Uh, Leave a comment. It helps other people find out about our podcast and uh, helps get the word out. And it makes us feel good uh, in our little bellies. It's like gold stars of kindergarten. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. Like the digital stars of our happiness. We're talking about the ones that I wasn't supposed to eat, and then I ate them, right? It's, yes, he vomited them all over the floor here, actually. So check out Alan, of course, uh, West West Side Music. What's your website? Westwestsidemusic.com. Yeah, that's it. Go there. Go see everything he's done. Um Go ahead over to our website, darksiderecords.com. You, if you're listening, you already know what our website is, so I don't think I need to explain okay. it again. Um, any last mentions that you want to get out? Anything you have coming up? Any any dates or, or something that you want to – A lot of them I can't talk about. Yeah. It's crazy. Embargo. Embargo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's, uh, that's uh, the podcast for this month. Uh, thanks for listening. I'm JB. I'm JJ. Alan. Steven. Alec. Thanks.